Hey, online church, man, I hope that worship was so encouraging to you and to your soul as you focused your heart on God and off of all the distractions that you have going on in life. And listen, I know you have a lot of distractions, a lot of stuff maybe messing with you, and that's what I love so much about this space, wherever you're participating in this space, it's a chance for us to kind of block out the distractions and just focus in on God and His Word and to be encouraged and to be strengthened and maybe even to be challenged a little bit. And my prayer for you is that this series that we're in called Search Party, a four-week series in Luke chapter 15, is one that really helps you capture the heart of God and the mission He is calling us on together to step out in faith with him on this search party. Listen, we're, we're jumping into Luke chapter 15 today. Again, so much has been going on here. I hope you're ready. We're launching our campus in Tremont, September 12th, our location, excuse me, and uh, I can't wait for services to be live here and to be live in Tremont. Uh, I, I need you to pray with me and then we're going to read this passage and we'll get right into it today. Dear God, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us and who is in pursuit of our hearts. Yeah, our hearts. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter what life looks like, you're chasing after us. As the poet called you, the hound of heaven. Pursuing us with your great love. Drawing us to yourself. Asking us to turn from all the nonsense and all the crazy paths we've been down that are taking us further from you. We gather here from all different kinds of places and what we need is for you to break through our hard hearts, our apathetic minds sometimes, our distracted, busy lives to show us more of who you are. We need you. We don't want to be the gods of our own lives. We can't be. We need you. You speak to us through your word this morning or whenever we're watching this. In Jesus' name, amen. It says this, and we're, we've been talking about the lost, the parables of the lost things. These were Jesus' response to the critics. These were Jesus' response to those who said, wait, wait a minute, no, no, no. You can't be spending time with them. You can't be with them. Listen, you're not, you're not supposed to be associating with those kind of people. What kind of leader are you? Who, what are you trying to teach here? You're eating meals with them. And everybody knows eating meals in their day and culture was a sign of friendship. That's why they called him the friend of sinners. And that's why, that's why he told them these parables. This was his response. And I want to stick to it because, man, we've been walking through it so much. First week we talked about the heart of God. And uh, last week, Josh, the intern, crushed a message on the lost coin. And today we're starting what is two weeks in a message about, well, the lost son. It's called the parable of the lost son, but it's really about so much more than the lost son. You ready for this? Open your Bibles up. Grab your Bible app. You don't have a Bible app. I use version. Somebody asked me that this week. It's an awesome Bible app, version. Just go to the App Store, download that. If you need a real Bible, I like the 
I like the smell of a real Bible. I like the feel. I like to write in a real Bible. If you want one of these, hit us up. We'd be glad to get you connected. And uh, I'm pumped about that. You ready to follow along? Grab your pens. Take some notes. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, it says this. Jesus continued like it wasn't enough. They didn't get it after round one. They didn't get it after round two. I shouldn't be surprised. Man, there's a whole lot of church people that don't get it after round one or round two. Jesus is amping up the parables as he lands his point with these critics. Uh, He lands this point about the heart of God. It says this, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. I love that he continues and doesn't give him time. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. That's one sentence there, one line. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It's not a shocker. We see it all the time. Maybe we've done it a few times. Not a shocker, right? He's got the bankroll, and he's playing around with it. Leads to empty places when you make money or God. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven And against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, somebody circle long way off in your Bibles right now. Somebody jot that down in your notes. I wasn't planning on preaching that, but maybe we will. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him we've been missing some compassion these days where's all the compassion gone i'm so thankful for the people in my life my my amazing wife their their hearts are full of compassion and understanding to people who are different than them i need more empathy and more compassion around me let's go he's filled with compassion compassion He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's more to the story. But the more to the story is the shocking surprise ending Jesus lays on them. And we're not going to cover that till next week. So make sure you're here. There's more to the story. But this part all started with one line. It changed a trajectory. You ever have that in life, right? Like the one line that changed the trajectory of your day. You ever have like, like you wake up and you, the one line, hey, honey, the bacon is burned, and, and just have it change the whole trajectory of your day. feels like everything's burned after that. It just set in course a motion of crankiness, not to be matched by anyone in the office because you didn't have your bacon done, right? Like, you ever have one of those one lines that just set the whole trajectory for something like maybe it was... Like, hey, we're going to have a baby. Or maybe it was like, hey, guess what? Uh, you're sick. You know, I, I don't know. Those are terrible, right? Like, one line just changes the whole trajectory of this message. He's in here, and it's with one sentence the whole course changes. The trajectory of the story, the one sentence is this. Father, give me my share of the estate. It was a line that revealed his heart. The discontent he felt. It, it more, than, more than revealing his selfish heart that just wanted to seek after and chase after every desire and every whim he could find until he got what he was looking for. He didn't even know what he was really looking for. It was all around him. He just missed it. And that's what it reveals more. This one line reveals that he had no idea the blessing that was around him every day. One line that showed his heart. Listen, sometimes we plan those conversations out Sometimes those one lines just slip out. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong momentum, maybe the wrong kind of encouragement, and it slips out. But no matter how it gets out, once it's out, it's out. And there are these things in life that I don't like very much called consequences. I don't like them very much, but I'm learning to accept that word whole lot because everything in life has consequences and with one line whether it slipped out in a moment of frustration in his relationship with his dad or a moment of discontent in his body flesh or soul or whether he planned it out and had a list that he brought and rehearsed that conversation over and over and over again once it was out it was out there was no taking it back and the trajectory of his life was altered. Like everything we do has some consequences. And here you have an ask in the aftermath. The ask and the aftermath. You see, the problem wasn't even really in his words. The problem was his heart was adrift. The problem was he couldn't see around him that he actually had a father providing him with everything he needs. 
man, it's easy for our hearts to drift, so it's hard to be hard on the prodigal son. It's easy for our hearts to drift. I think it happens all the time. We have a moment of discontentment. We're frustrated or maybe we can't even put our finger on what's really going on in our hearts. We just know that something's off and instead of turning where we should turn, we turn to ourselves and we start a journey in the wrong direction. Listen, he was dealing with the aftermath of his ask for a long time. His heart slipped out or maybe it was planned out and you know this because critical always tell a critical mouth always shows you a critical heart. An angry mouth always shows you an angry heart. A hopeful mouth always shows you a hopeful heart. What is in the heart creeps out of the mouth and he missed the best parts. Andy Bernard the uh, from the office he has this famous quote it goes something like this he said I, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you actually leave them <laughs> yeah there is a way Andy just look around it's God he's not pursuing you once you leave he's always been in pursuit of you and your heart Man, you can tell the good old days just by getting your head off yourself and looking around. God has been trying to pour blessings into your life. He has been providing you with shelter and care and love. He's been extending to you every good thing He has for you. But we are so quick to miss it. I don't know what it is that stirs in us that drives that kind of discontentment, but instead of running from God, instead of trying to solve the issues of our hearts ourselves, instead of chasing down things that would end up empty, we should just try God first. We should just, hey, Andy Bernard, like, let's just look and enjoy and be in this moment the good old days are now. Like, like, God's got it for you. He missed it, man. I wonder how many people like just sit and let an apathetic heart go and miss the blessing. They just let discontentment take a seed in their heart and grow and they miss the blessing God has for them. They take their own discontentment and unsatisfaction with themselves and they stamp it on God or his church and they just run from it instead of seeking more of it. The ask in the aftermath, man, he was so stuck in there. The ask in the aftermath, and maybe you are at a moment here. His aftermath was no good. Just a series of discontentment winding up with empty things his relationships man they ran out on him his his money it ran out on him the food the parties the the freedom all of the things he thought were so much greener than what he had they all ended up running out on him maybe you're stuck in the ask or the aftermath maybe you're feeling the discontentment right now and you're thinking man like 
I don't know, I just got to do this my way, I just got to run, I, uh, maybe, I should, maybe I should just let it slip, maybe I should rehearse this, maybe I'm done with this God thing, maybe I'm just going to do it my way. Before you ask, like seek from Him, maybe take some pause and turn your discontent in heart inside out and see what's really been going on with you and turn to a God who loves you. The blessings are all around you. He's been, he's been tugging at your heart to come back to Him. Some of us, we're on the journey, right? Like maybe you're on the journey already. You're just realizing that things are starting to run out. Maybe you're still enjoying all of it and you don't have any idea that things are about to run out that that when life gets hard and things get difficult weak idols don't hold up to the storms money can't hold up to the storm in life you can't throw enough of it at the challenges in life to truly buy happiness relationships that aren't centered on god they will be stretched Thin and they will disappoint. They all run out. It's in these moments where he gets to experience something pretty special. You see, I don't want to get stuck in the ask or the aftermath, but I got to take a moment to say right now that there's a lot of grace in empty things. Somebody needs, maybe just one person needs to hear that right now. There's a lot of grace in the empty things. Listen, if you've been coming up empty, running from God, maybe it's time to say, hey, before I hit rock bottom, I'm going to have a little bit of awareness to say, this thing is not doing it for me. It doesn't cut it. It keeps turning up empty maybe there's some grace in the famine that's in this story maybe there's some grace in your difficult circumstances maybe there's some grace in the relationship you're in that's struggling maybe there's some grace in 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 the temporary frustrations you're having to deal with because those frustrations are keeping you from running faster down a wrong road towards nothing Maybe there's some grace from a God who shows us grace even when we don't deserve it. Maybe there's some grace in empty things. Maybe there's some grace in a relationship that's breaking down and feeling lonely because it's teaching you to depend on God and trust Him. And if you learn that now, man, it's going to pay off later. Maybe there's some grace in the struggles you're in financially right now because it's teaching you that money can't be an idol that you depend on, that you need to trust God with everything, even your finances. Maybe the struggle at work right now is because you don't need a promotion to something up the wrong ladder. You just need the right ladder and God's calling you to his purpose and meaning there is a lot of grace in empty things. And if you're feeling empty, I hate it. I don't like feeling empty. But what if it is grace? What if it's God slowing you down on the wrong road to get you on the right one back to his love? 
I don't like empty things. I don't like when I feel empty and I'm dealing with the disappointment of something that I thought would fill me up just showing up empty again. I don't like it, but what if it is God calling me back to everything I needed in the first place and everything he wanted to provide for me? The son had it all. It's the aftermath that gets him. It's the grace and the empty things. It's the famine. It's the food. It's all that's missing and all that had let him down that would point him back. Don't wait till rock bottom to turn back to God. Let him fill you up now wherever you are on your journey. There's grace in empty things. And here he is, this guy, right? Like he had run out of friends, he had run out of money, he's eating pig feed. It's not free. It's not fun. It wasn't everything it cracked up to be. The grass was not greener on the other side. He left the pasture and got stuck in the crevice of a rock. It was in that between a rock and a hard place thing that he had a realization maybe a tug on his heart maybe a memory maybe a reminder that there was so much more to life than this there could be so much more again to life than this it was in that space that he decides that he's going to turn back to his father and the home from which he left, and he plots this plan, right? Like he comes up with this plan, he's got this speech, he's rehearsed the speech, and he turns back. That, that's what we learn about this prodigal son. But I don't really think this story is about the prodigal son so much as it's about this prodigal dad. I think this is, it's a, Timothy Keller coined that phrase and put it in a book. It's a great book. You should read it. But I really think that this is so much more about the dad. You see, if I scroll all the way back to verse 12, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, circle that one. Write that down. This is, I've read this story so many times. This is one of the most shocking. I can't believe we found that. I've never seen it in all the commentaries before. It's there. I just haven't seen it. So he divided. What's so absolutely incredible about this father. and, And before I talk about dads, I just want to say Jesus uses dad here the father as an example of God's heart towards lost people in this parable. God's heart towards the prodigal son in his parable. And I know that that, that, that analogy, that, that tie-in to fatherhood is difficult for some of you. I know that some of you have had fathers who have been verbally abusive. Some of you have, have had fathers that have criticized every little thing you did. You were never good enough in their eyes. You never felt like you were good enough for them. I know there are fathers that withheld love from some of you. They, they withheld love to manipulate your behavior. There are fathers that were sexually abusive to some of you. There are fathers that have done terrible things. They shouldn't even be called fathers. They did nothing more than just be a biological parent to you. Almost got myself in some trouble there, but 
I know this illustration is difficult maybe, but I need you to see past your own dad issues for a second. This isn't talking about your dad or your father, however good or however terrible they were. Like what, what Jesus is trying to show us is what good dads should be reflective of. It's the perfect heart for his children from a God who loves perfectly, who doesn't break promises, who won't manipulate you, who isn't critical of you, who holds you with great care, not angry or abusive hands. I just got to throw that disclaimer out here because I don't want you, I know you got some dif difficult stuff, some of you, to work through when you hear the word dad. But can I, can I just take a moment to kind of flesh this out and maybe show how much better God is than any dad? How much better God is than me as a dad? Can I just take a moment? Because this dad, right, like he, he was in a culture of honor, status. In this day and age, man, like dad was the king of the household. He was in charge. He was to be honored. He didn't run to kids. Kids ran to him. He didn't in fact, this kind of insult was even mentioned in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18 and 21, it told us that the punishment for not honoring your dad was that the father would cast you out and the son would be dead to him. There was laws written to punish dishonoring your dad. There were laws put out there to, like the, the Ten Commandments, the only one with like the promise on the end of it is honor your father and mother and you'll live a long life, right? Like, it was a big deal what this kid asked. What he was saying is, I wish you were dead. Hurry up already. I'm tired of waiting around for you. I want your money. I want it to be mine now. I'm not concerned about how you feel or what you want to do or how you want to live. I just want to be out, free of you, gone. Leave me alone. And this father, this absolute incredible moment, this father chooses shame. You ever been shamed or had to deal with shame? That's a heavy thing. This father in this story, so he divided, granted the request without argument, without lecture, without punishment, without disowning his son. He, he chose to shame himself by giving the request. He took on the pain of a love extended but not returned. Some of you know what that feels like. He chose that kind of love. He chose, he chose humiliation. 
instead of disowning and casting the son out. This is a really big deal. A really big deal because Jesus is telling this story as a representation of God's heart. That he would choose shame. That he would endure the pain of having loved and having that loved returned with only rejection and insult and hurt. That he would humble himself like that and, and endure the humility and probably even the mocking in his day and age of not disowning his son. And it reminds me of Jesus. You see, it says this in Hebrews 12 too. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Some of your versions may say the author and finisher of our faith. They're both so beautiful and so right in their translations of the Greek language here in Hebrews. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. Who, who write this down, circle it, Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God come on somebody he humbled himself when he came to be God among us and made himself as a child and became our servants this is the heart of God in pursuit of you, even when you're running away from Him, even when you're saying, I don't want this anymore, I wish you were dead, I'm out of here, just give me mine, I don't want anything to do with you. This is the heart of the true Father, and if you don't got a dad that's any good, make this your Father, your Heavenly Father. He humbled Himself for the joy set before him he endured the cross he scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of god the father for the joy there's a couple of things here as we wrap up that i just want to point out about this father in this story three things four things that's it right four things to wrap it up we got to move because i got caught up in something today and uh man time has slipped away it was for god's joy that he endured all this for the joy that would come when and if you would turn back to him and he could give you a new heart heal the brokenness and pour the blessings of his house back on you number one god sees deeper than your struggle somebody write that man because we have a tough time with that we can't see past other people's struggles all we see is their struggle come on you know it's true and it should not be how we see people it's not how god sees people he sees through the heart 
we just see the struggle in others and we don't understand that there's a person, a human with a heart, maybe a heart that's breaking underneath it. We just see the angry request to get out of here. We don't see the heart underneath the request, the search, the discontent, and the misdirection that is going on for this son. We just see the struggle. This father, he understood the heart of this son. God sees past your struggle. We can't do that because not only do we see the struggle in other people only, we see the struggle in ourselves and define ourselves by that too like since when is your identity all wrapped up in your biggest failures since when is who the, the the whole of who you are since when is that wrapped up in in your biggest struggle that's not who we are that's not all of who you are that's not who god created you to be he wants to give you a new identity god sees past the struggle he understands that the symptom is a symptom of a heart that has gone wrong awry off has sinned that has departed from him he sees past the struggle he sees past your struggle right now you're so much more than your struggle say it again you are so much more than your struggle i know the struggle's got its claws in you i know it's deep i know it it's a fight you take up every day. It doesn't define you, though. It's not who you are. You don't have to live in the shame of your struggle. Let's get to the heart. God sees to your heart. And the real change, that's where it needs to happen. God sees deeper than your struggle. Stop defining yourself by your weaknesses, by your failures, by your lack of confidence, by your insecurity, by your... Stop def defining yourself by that. God sees deeper than your struggle. Number two about this father I think is so cool is he has searching eyes and hits the ground running. I love that the picture that is painted by Jesus for us is that this father is by the window. I, I like to think distracted, though God is not distracted. I want to say preoccupied, though God is perfect and he's not preoccupied. He knows all things and sees all things and keeps all things in front of him. He is concerned about all things. The Bible teaches us that he knows the hairs on your heads, that he formed you in your mother's womb, that he knows where you go, where you sit, where you rise, where you lay your head. He knows everything about you. He's just that into you and he's just that perfect and good. But I love that the picture is this father is sitting by the window and when he sees the son on his journey back a long way off, like he was watching for him, like he was waiting for him. And, I, and no matter where you are in life, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong roads, no matter what struggles you have, God is watching for you and waiting for you just to turn to him. It's your choice. He's given you freedom. You're not a robot. He's not going to go down there and force you back home. It says that he is patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to eternal life through him. He's waiting, searching eyes for you. He knows where you are and what you've been going through. 
All you got to do is take that one step of faith, just that turn. That's what repentance means. It turns from our ways, from our sin towards Jesus and his way. It's a repentance. It's, it's why we say sorry. It's, it's important to say sorry. Sorry, God, for all, all the wrong I've done, for this road I've been on, for the sins I've made. I'm turning back to you now. Forgive me. I, I, I love that the father that the kid rehearsed the speech, and, but the father was running to him as soon as he saw him. God is running after you. Here's the third thing, because we got to go, right? Like Luke 19, 10, by the way, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's what we are here. We're on mission to seek with Jesus and to save the lost. That's what we do. We don't expect people to seek and come here. We're going to go to them. That's why we plan a whole campus. It's because we're on mission to seek and to save the lost. That's why we go out. We go. We do stuff. We're not expecting people to come to us like, oh, this is another sermon for another day. Number three, you don't have to talk God into loving you. You don't have to talk God into loving you. We rehearse the speech over again. Like the son, this prodigal son, he rehearsed the speech, but did you catch that he didn't even get the whole speech out? He only got half the speech out. The father didn't let him get the whole speech out. The part where he was going to say, hey, I'll just be a hired hand and I'll work with the servants. I'll just be a servant in your house. Like he didn't get to say that part. God, the, the father was having nothing to do with that part. He just squeezed it out of him. He bear hugged him like a kidney was going to pop, right? And said, forget that. We're throwing a party right now. Go get the fatted calf. We're throwing a party right now. The father, right? Like we rehearse the speeches like we got like to talk God into loving us. We we. We make promises like we're going to earn it. I won't do this anymore, God, if you just get me through this. I'll, I'll go to church every Sunday. I won't say those things. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to drink. I'm not gonna, I'll give this stuff up. Just get me through this right now, God. If you just get me through this, I'll give you. I'll just do it. I'll prove. I'll prove that, that I deserve this love and this grace. I'll prove it. We try to talk God into it. We try to prove it. You don't got to talk God into loving you. He already loves you. There's nothing you can say that's going to make him love you more. He loves you completely already. There's nothing you can do that's going to earn more love from God. His love is perfect. It's who he is. You don't got to talk him into loving you. I know you got to talk people into loving you. You feel like that. But you don't got to talk God into loving you. The kid didn't even get the speech out. He had rehearsed it. Like you're rehearsing speeches to God, right? Making promises. But he loves you already. Point number four about this father is he just dishes out the new threads. 2 Corinthians 5.17 teaches us that when we are found in Christ through faith and grace, those things, through grace by faith, that's it. Not by works so nobody can boast. You don't get to put on the better hat. I'm better than him. Sometimes we boast by saying, look at me how great I am. Sometimes these Pharisees boasted by saying, look at how bad they are, right? Faith through, by faith through grace. 
2 Corinthians says that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The Father throws on the new hat, the new robe, takes his, puts him in a place of honor, kills the fatted calf, and throws this whole party, and maybe right now what you need is something new because the old is running out. God wants to give you a new heart, a new life. He wants to forgive you, make you whole. It's time to come back home. You can do that in your heart just by saying, God, man, I've missed the mark. I've been sinning. Like I've been running away from you, the wrong direction, just doing what's right in my own eyes, and I'm sorry. These empty things, they're grace. I realize it now, just showing me that I had it all in you. And I can have it all in you again. Just place your faith in him. Say, I believe that you died to forgive me and you rose again to give me life and he will make you new. Or maybe you just left the house, you had it all, you went a-wandering. <laughs> it's time to come home. He loves you. He's watching, patiently waiting for you just to turn back to him. You're not going to find an angry speech or a lecture or a argument you're not even going to get out all the words you rehearse to say to him he's just going to squeeze you and love you and welcome you home as he makes you new all over again let's pray to god we're so thankful for the story and your response to the pharisees we're going to get into some of that next week but we're so thankful that no matter what prodigal we are, no matter how lost we are, no matter what life has looked like, you just want us to come home where we have all that we ever hoped for in you. I pray somebody would do that right now in their car, wherever they're watching this. They would just place their faith in you, and I pray that they would reach out to me and shoot me an email and let me know so that I can encourage them and pray with them, get them some stuff to help them on their journey. Man, we're just so thankful for the heart you have for us. We don't deserve it. We, we couldn't earn it. It's just so good. Thank you for Jesus, the cross, and the empty tomb. Without those, we have nothing. In Jesus' name.